I am so excited because this is, of course, an episode of the Live Well Bipolar podcast, you guys. And I have a special guest here. We actually just had a conversation. I was on his podcast, and that episode is going to be coming out on Friday, which is October 6th. I will be sharing that, but I want to let you know who this person is, what we are talking about. So I have my friend Lee with me. He is the host of Benefits of Bipolar on YouTube. He shares his story actively on Instagram, contributes as a writer for International Bipolar Foundation and volunteers for NAMI as a speaker and for their newsletter. And Lee is here to talk to me about of course, his experience living with bipolar disorder, his history with that, and then also really what's been the most helpful for him, which I will let him tell us about because I don't want to steal all the things that he brought to the table. So I'm going to pass it over to you, Lee, and thank you again so much for making the time to come out and have this conversation. I'm so excited to get get into your story. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know where you want me to start if you want me to kind of start at the beginning with my story, but really really long story short um my life was really nothing but chaos until about four years ago i don't drink anymore and that's because i basically blacked out for like four or five times a week for 10 to 15 years <laughs> and before that it was just a interesting childhood and 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 so on from there so in reality it's like i have two lives in my mind you know it, it's the same person it's all part of the same story, <laughs> but there's a true and clear delineation between before I was diagnosed and after diagnosis. And then more importantly for me, it was, there was another one about two years after diagnosis of taking the next step and taking accountability. And, you know, that looked like going, actually going to therapy. And even though it didn't work out, finding another therapist, trying to find a bipolar specific therapist working out, you know, eating healthy, all of those things that you hear that you always kind of roll your eyes because you, I know I assumed I could never get better, um, you know, but it turns out you, you know, <laughs> if you, and not drinking, you know, I should say, of course, um, you know, and cutting back on that until the point where I've had one drink this year, um, you know, it's just been, it's been a long battle. I'd be lying if I told you it wasn't still a battle. Um, I think that's why I feel compelled to keep sharing because it doesn't, it, it gets easier, but it doesn't at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, I was, I was in my therapist's office today and we were supposed to get to trauma. And I told her, I said, I can't start there today. <laughs> mm -hmm. I have to start with what's going on in my life because it, it has been overwhelming. And, and, you know, so it's just like you said, it's, it's, it's a constant upkeep, you know? And so that is my life in a nutshell. You, I will turn it back to you and you ask me about anything you want to know about my life and I can jump back into that at, at, at any point. It's just, I, I was talking to my therapist today and, and she's kind of like, yeah, well, well, we'll just go through it. I go, how much time do we have? And what do you want me to hit on? <laughs> mm -hmm. I love that you say, how much time do we have? Because that's how I feel whenever I have these conversations and you say, look, my life was chaos up until four years ago. And you really have a clear indication of life before my diagnosis, life after my diagnosis. So I love how you talk about, and still to this day, it's always a battle and still continuing. And I feel like that's a good thing to hear too, is this is why I'm continuing to want to tell my story and want to have these conversations because really what I'm hearing from you is I'd love to ask you, especially when you say that 
the drinking and talking about that. And because that's, I think, can be such a challenge for people, especially whether they're newly going through this, because I know I shared with you, that's kind of where I'm at in my journey right now is I just, this, it didn't start really till later this year is this idea of sober curiosity and cutting back significantly on alcohol, which is where I'm at now with, with doing that. And that's what I really love to hear these stories, because I feel like you're able to understand someone else's path and direction and how can that apply to my situation? So I'd love to ask you when you say with your diagnosis, you talk about my life before my diagnosis and my life after, was there any kind of big change that happened when you got your diagnosis or how were, what was your reaction when you initially heard those words? I smile and laugh because it was, um, it, it it was a sense of relief combined with a sense of utter terror. Um, the relief being obviously I had an answer for some parts of why everything were the way they were for some of the reasons why I acted the way I acted and had thoughts of, you know, that I had. And so it was, it was somewhat of a relief knowing that maybe it wasn't all my fault, but it was also abject terror because I knew nothing about living with bipolar. Um, being 37, the last time I had really heard anything about bipolar disorder was literally in my psychology class in 2004. And the things that I read about it then were not what we know to be true about it now. Um, so I fought against learning more about it. Um, I figured I could just start taking my medication and things would get better. And so I guess when I say it's a clear difference, it was it, that's probably making it too simple because the next 18 months were after I got diagnosed were actually probably the hardest 18 months of my life because I thought it was going to get better. The problem was I kept drinking. <laughs> I kept gambling. Um, so slowly over those first 18 months, I wouldn't black out as often. I wouldn't drink as often. I wouldn't gamble as often. But the problem was when I did, it was basically resetting everything back from the beginning because alcohol is such a big effect on my brain. And I had so many years of using it to cope and had so many years of using it, drinking it to the point of blacking out to cope that that really messed with any progress that I could have made with the help of the medication. So yeah, I was a little less suicidal. I was a little less, you know, purely drinking every day, but it did take a really long time for it to kind of kick in that I had to take over as well. Um, so that's why I kind of almost broke it into those three parts, because once I realized I had a lot of responsibility in this as well, helped out by my sister kind of holding my feet to the fire for the first time, threatening a relationship, rightfully so, um, you know, I, I had never really made that decision to actually take control of my life as much as I could in that moment. Um, and so I remember the last time I blacked out, I think I mentioned this to you before, I lost my keys, I lost my phone, I found my phone the next morning, but I was kind of, I think I had been out once or twice with my now girlfriend who we've been together since then. And I remember waking up the next day and going, this isn't going to work. <laughs> like there's no point in continuing to try to date this girl because I, she was too nice for me. She was too good for me. She was all of those things that like were the reasons I would have not like even gone after somebody like her in the past or, or other people in the past because I would have convinced myself I wasn't good enough. For some reason this time I was like, well, maybe I could 
stop drinking a little bit or quite as much. And it really, it was just one thing. And I always kind of like to say this phrase, success begets success. Mm-hmm. One morning of waking up feeling a little bit better led to one night that I was able to hang out with Megan instead of saying, no, I need this night to myself because I'm recovering or I'm still anxious or I'm super depressed. It didn't happen often, but slowly over time, I drank less. I'd feel started to feel a little bit better. And it does take a long time. And it did take a lot of patience. And it still does. It's still something that I'm working on is, is that that ever we're forever chasing that that figment of our imagination that is mm-hmm. constant stability. <laughs> yeah. Well, Drinking I think, will hurt that. So to for the timeline, what year was it when you were first diagnosed? I was diagnosed in September of 2019. Okay. So, so September. And I, cause I know you said the diagnosis, so life before the diagnosis, diagnosis, and then life after. And then you mentioned getting the diagnosis and having that sense of, okay, well, this kind of gives me some answers into this and maybe makes a little sense, a little bit more clarity, but I'll just start doing a little bit less. Maybe not. I'll st- I'm still doing it, right? I'm still drinking. I'm still gambling. I'm not really cutting these things out. I'm not really setting the boundaries. And that's exactly my experience of for me. Right. So getting my diagnosis, I'll maybe lessen a little bit, but I still wasn't. And you mentioned you started, you started dating, you said Megan, right? And you guys were on one or two dates. And then you remember blacking out, losing your keys, going through this. And I remember that was something that I had. And when you say she was too good for me and noticing, well, maybe I can do it a little bit less because I feel like there needs to be a turning point. You talk about the two years after the diagnosis, and I'm finally going to take accountability. So was that in 2021 of when you were finally like, I'm going to change. What was it? It was exactly. So it was after Christmas of 2020 heading into 2021. And I had the, I had a really bad habit, but a self-protective habit of withdrawing completely, especially from my family. Um, If I knew I was going down a really, really dark depression and was drinking and doing whatever I So what happened was I finally removed myself from the family group chat. Mm. And so nobody heard from me for 10 days or two weeks or whatever. And I must have gotten drunk and called my sister, started texting her, firing off messages that I wouldn't be able to tell you what they say now. And I remember her calling me back and basically, you know, being like, well, no, but what are you doing to get better? And I was like, I'm taking my medication every day. What do you mean? She's like, no. Are you still drinking? Yeah. Are you still gambling? Yeah. You you know, and she kind of walked me through. She goes, and are you going to therapy? And I was like, no. And are you taking care of yourself? And I was like, no. And she kind of took it to a place I wasn't expecting because everybody had kind of just kept letting me come back every single time. Thank God they did. (laughs) But she basically said, look, you can't keep removing yourself from the family and then coming back whenever you want, like nothing happened. Um, I think my nephews were probably, um, now I feel bad, right? So that mm-hmm. was three years ago, almost three years ago. So they were a year, year and a half. And they changed, obviously, our entire family's lives. They were the first grandkids, my first nephews. I don't want to forget my brothers, but, you know, blood nephews. And so from that very beginning, I had, for whatever reason, I had felt this attachment to them. And so I was telling her that, and she goes, that's cool but you're not going to be in their life if you keep doing this. Mm. And I'll never forget those words. And, and she followed it up with, I love you. You love them. They love you and will. 
you cannot keep doing this. I can't have you are like, this is not, it's not going to work. And that hit me. And then being with Megan hit me. And so the first step I ever took was I gave my dad my debit card because without the debit card that took away the temptation to go take money out, taking away the temptation to go gambling. Um, So that was kind of that first decision. And it was a lot of it was from, that that being held accountable by my sister so i tell her that all the time (laughs) one more person that you know she saved my life by being there in many ways on my worst nights before that but also by being the one who i guess was ballsy enough to say you gotta do it yourself brother like you gotta start doing it wow and okay when you say that something that we were talking about before is asking for support because i feel like thinking back to that. Cause I had someone like that in my life. When you mentioned how your sister was, that was kind of how my dad was for me. And I used to view it back in the, back in the day, I was like, you don't like me. You hate me. You think something's <laughs> wrong with me. But I feel like now when you see people who are being willing to put themselves out on the line and actually ask you those hard questions, what are you doing to get better? And you're like, I'm taking my med- medication because I would see that all the time. And that was my same situation. When I came out of the hospital, court ordered, take your medicine, get your blood check. That's all I was were you really going to your appointments? Were you, do you change anything else? No. And in my mind, I thought that was enough. I'm like, okay, well I'm taking the medicine. I'm that's what I'm doing. But I feel like what you're saying, especially I'd love to get your viewpoint on this too, especially with being a man, because the way that we see things in society is, oh, well, it's okay for you to ask for help if you're a girl, woman, but, oh, you're supposed to be strong. You're supposed to be this kind of a figure. And for you to ask for support or say that you need help, that's not really what we see. And I feel like a lot of men have told me that their experience with, with their diagnosis of bipolar, is that kind of how they felt internally? So did you ever have those feelings and what helped you overcome them? Oh God. Yeah. Um, I mean, when I was younger, I mean, I, nobody could tell me, right like anything (laughs) I mean of course I I didn't need help I could do it myself those little brief stretches of hypomania had me convinced I could do it myself and half the time that I could do it better than you could so that asking for help definitely wasn't even there yet Um, that is much newer than even my sister kind of stepping in that was probably the first time that I accepted somebody's heavy criticism um because I knew she was right. And probably because there was also a legitimate, I don't want to, I hate to say threat, but in that, in some ways, that's what it was. I don't want people to threaten people and think it's going to work. Right. That, that's, that wasn't the case, it, but you know, and, and I, I had built up some trust with her. So, you know, but I mean, I think in that moment, had my dad tried to done the, tried to say the same thing, it would have fallen on deaf ears. Mm. It had to be her. It had to be that situation. It had to be that moment. That's where the luck that I always talk about of where I've gotten to where I am now comes in. Um, so that that was certainly not the case. That's um, as far as asking for help. Um, my, it was my first thing I wrote about for International Bipolar. And um, because it, it was so hard for me, um, it's still really hard for me. Uh, my therapist I say yelled at me, but not actually, but looked at me today because, well, have you called any of these people that you rely on? And I was like, no, it's still hard to ask for help. It is still hard for me to, to get to that point where I'm like, I, I want to reach out. And I think the further into the like feeling stable more often that I get, 
it's reversing back to that because I feel like everybody expects me to be doing better. Mm. <laughs> this is all internal, by the way, these are all internal thoughts. They don't, you know, but I think, so it, it really is like everything else. It's, it's, it's something that I have to, and everybody has to just maintain because what is true is that every time I've tried to do it alone, it hasn't worked. Mm. <laughs> so, so it, it started slowly and then, it, it, it has gotten easier. And, and the communication that I have with other people helps too. The more communication you have with somebody like with my father over time, the more he understood where I was coming from, the more I com feel comfortable asking him for help. Because mm -hmm. he's not going to look at it in a different way. He's not also going to be like, Oh, my God, do I have to come there? Oh, my God, do I have to do this? It's like, No, it's fine. <laughs> I just need a little bit of help. <laughs> right. And so there's just so many layers to it. But I can I, 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 I say this all the time. It has changed my life. I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't be in Minnesota having gotten through that move. I wouldn't be alive to begin with. I wouldn't be sharing my own story if I had never asked for help. And that ain't, that's my parents. That's still continuing therapy. You know, that's your psychiatrist. That's anybody. And and it's hard to initially ask for help the first time, especially as a man, because like you said, I, I was raised to do everything myself. Mm -hmm. I was raised do not burden somebody else. If you can do it, do it. People have it off way worse than you. You should be able to figure this out. Pray about it, whatever. I mean, my I love my dad more than anything and he can watch this. I've said it all to him, but we were, you know, I was raised to be tough and to be the man of the house and to provide and everything else. Well, I can tell you when life slaps you in the face enough times, and if you are willing to learn your lesson, I haven't been able to provide for myself 90% of my life. I have, <laughs> but not in a successful manner. Mm -hmm. And so once I realized that it's like, this isn't due to my own shortcomings, I have gotten through every single bit of my life without medication, without asking for help. And it sucked. <laughs> it mm -hmm. was so hard. And it was <sighs> impossibly hard most of the time. So since I did that, now that I do have a chance of getting better, now that I might have other opportunities coming my way, why not stop almost punishing myself and ask for and accept that help when I need it? Um, wow. And again, it comes off really easily off the tongue right now, but it's still something everybody could know. I'm not still not great at, you know, mm -hmm. it's still something I talk about because I'm so proud of how much I do it in comparison to the past. Mm -hmm. It's certainly something I need to keep working on now as well. Yeah. Cause I know you mentioned before this, you said you gave your dad, your debit card to, mm -hmm. and you said without the access to money, without being able to go and do the gambling. And then I think the big part of that for you too, is just the awareness into how this is contributing to the, the problem. Cause I remember you initially said when your sister said, what are you doing? And you said, well, I'm taking my medication. Are you going to therapy? No. Are you still drinking? You're still gambling? Yes. Yes. So I feel like part of that is discovering what things do I have in my life, whether it's environment relationships, whatever circumstances that they are playing a factor in, how is this impacting you? And I think for you being able to have that and to say, no, like these things I need to put in place and having her say, look, I know that you you really value your relationships with our nephews, but you're not going to be in their life. And I'm remembering that moment stick with you. And I like how you also mentioned talking about it in a way of a threat, because I feel like sometimes we think we can do how, whatever act, however, and people are just going to still show up. And that's really what my, my situation was too. And when I went through my hospitalization, my diagnosis, I just couldn't see past the obstacle and again, asking for help and, and being able to say, look here, I'm going to do this because I want to 
be around and be present and start doing that. And I like how you also mentioned just, you try to do it alone and it wasn't successful, but then also I was raised to be this way. If I can do it myself, do it yourself. Don't burden other people being the provider, doing all these things that, that we feel like we, we need to do. And now it's like, okay, well, but I'm, I'm trying to deal with this. So especially when you mentioned one of the first things you talked about or wrote about for International Bipolar Foundation was talking about asking for help. And I think even hearing from you too, so we're almost entering 2024, right? So it's pretty well, I think that we're in the end, we're in October right now, 2024 is coming. So if you could look at yourself right now, where you are today in this moment, back all the way, right when you got your first diagnosis, what is the the biggest change that you see in yourself that you really didn't think would be here today? It's going to sound like a cop-out, but it's not. Um, everything. I, I mean, truly. I mean, uh, every almost everything in my life other than my financial situation looks different, but it's not my fault anymore, really anymore. So, the, the, you know, even that, even that, you know, is is different because, I mean, I mean, truly, and, and I mean, I'll try and make it, but like, it was survival mode all day, every day from 15 to 35. I I, I didn't know anything else. I mean, I think in, in the thing that I'm putting out that you were on, I said, or right before we did that, I said, everything I've done this year is new. Mm-hmm. Everything. And I mean that I hadn't written anything in since high or since uh, college. I had never videotaped anything. I had never designed anything. I had never shared anything meaningful about myself unless it was impulsively rattling things off behind the bar because I hated everything and didn't <laughs> care who knew. So truly, I uh, it, it's hard for me to remember it. I'm, I'm happy you kind of brought that up. I needed this perspective today. Um, but it, it's hard to nail any one thing down mm-hmm. because... I, Paris, every like I wouldn't go to the bathroom for hours and I would sit and watch TV for hours because making the decision to get up and go to the bathroom was that difficult. I had that many thoughts going through my head. It was, am I going to kill myself this morning or tonight? Or can I make it through the next three hours of work? And I mean, every single day was, am I going to get to work? Am I going to make it through work? Am I going to make it through the day? Mm-hmm. And then drinking and or the one or two days a week where I was recovering. So I was in so much pain, I couldn't drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, that's what life looked like. I'll never forget that. I think that's always well, I'll be who I am and thankful for where I am. But like, at the same time, I I can't pick one thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's so f- it, it, it's so familiar for me. I ha- I can feel that in the pit of my chest. I know that feeling well, it's never going to go away. On my worst days, it creeps right back in and you know, mm-hmm. you have to get rid of it again. But like, it is hard to realize throughout the course of every day, how much is different, unless I sit back and think about it. Because mm-hmm. like, from the minute I wake up to the minute I go to bed, everything is different from the day before I got diagnosed. Wow. Because Okay, when you said that, I just was almost getting chills because I felt the same. It's, I feel like, especially when you said it's hard to nail down one thing, because especially when you're cutting out things that you spent a lot of your time doing. And I feel like we don't always think about it. We don't always think about, I don't really spend a lot of my time drinking, gambling, but if you really like chart out what you're doing with your time and then all these different things, I feel like being able to break it down because especially when you were saying like living in survival mode from 15 to 35, 
and you lay it out and say, look, to make this decision to even get up, take care of myself, go to the bathroom and constantly having that, that thought in your head at work, wherever you are, those thoughts of suicide. I don't want to be here. What, how am I going to do this? When really so much of your thought process is clouded, it just weighs it down significantly. And I feel like you really addressing that is helpful because I feel like another thing that I want to mention is you talk about your relationship. So you talk about your relationship with your girlfriend when you first started dating and and when you say support, right? Asking for support, Mm -hmm. how has that relationship helped you and really just shown you that, that you're able to do these things that you think that you, that you thought you couldn't do. So many ways. Um, but mostly to begin with understanding, um, I don't know how she does it. I got blessed and found the one person who can defend anybody. <laughs> we could find the good <laughs> in anybody and anything. Um, so she wasn't like shocked off when I told her on the third date that I live with bipolar. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, and, and really because I was terrified too. Uh, you know, so it started from the very beginning, just this this deep level of conversation and communication that where I was like, I, I don't know if, I'm gonna black out tomorrow night. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna fall off a cliff in two weeks and hit the. I I don't know. I have no idea what any of this is gonna look like. And so from the beginning, it was just understanding. I mean, I make this joke. I think 99% of women would have just stopped talking to me after the first three months at most. I mean, at most. In fact, I had at least two do so before that that I tried to date since diagnosis. It is like. I was so careful. And so I, I wouldn't hang out with her if I had a bad day. Mm. I would cancel plans all the time. I would, she, she would want to do something and be like, I can't do that. You know? And, and she would ask why, but she would be very understanding. I'd say, well, because I'm not in the right mindset for that. It would stress me out. It would cause me possibly to, you know, fall backwards or it might make me hypomanic. And I didn't mm. really know what any of that meant because wow. of the first time in my life, I wasn't drinking. So I was figuring all of this out with her. And so it's just from day one. I mean, I think both of us were looking for reasons to break up with, or with <laughs> the other one for nine months or a year. I mean, we were truly, we talked about it from time to time. So it just came down to a level of communication and conversation where I became more and more comfortable over time showing her everything about me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, over time then, say I don't know I'm making up time frames now but let's say nine months to a year in we started hanging out when I had a bad day not the worst days but a bad day a little bit after that it was like okay I'm having the worst day ever but I actually want you to be here if you're okay with that you know so she became somebody that was also now a support for me that I wanted to be with me but you know, I had to be open to that and be open to improving and being open to changing my routine a little bit here and there, which I really didn't want to do. Um, mm-hmm. But that was easier if I could take the step back and remember all of the sacrifices and all of the things that she had put up with to get to that point and would put up with in the future <laughs> if she stayed with me. I mean, because again, and, and you know, I, I know the last time we talked about it, you, you end up more on like the hypomanic side of things with the bipolar one. Mine is very depressive laden, depressive focused. It has always been the hardest side of things for me. And I went into a really interesting mixed episode after the move here, more on the depressive side of things. So I would wake up in the morning with all sorts of uh, energy, 
say, I'll get this done. I'll do this. And I want to do this after work. By the time she'd come home from work, I'd be crying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you're in a new city. The only other person you know is me. And she gets <laughs> home crying. Yeah. That's what she deals with. You know what I mean? And so it is, and, and, you know, this was a couple of months ago. And, and so for me, the depression side of things still is a very overwhelming aspect of life. And so she has to, I, I say, put up with it, but I think she, because we communicate so much, because we're on the same page so much, I'm able to voice to her. I, I, I can't help right now. I need you to be there for mm -hmm. me. If you, otherwise I totally understand if I need to be alone. And then there's other times it's like, all right, I'm actually feeling okay. Let's do these things. I want to make, make up for you when I can. I want to do the things for you that I can. Yeah. Um, it sounds like a big theme of everything that you're saying is letting her in. Cause I feel like yes. what you're saying reminds me of when I first met my husband, like the same, literally the same way. I feel like you're figuring out together. You went from struggling so much in these different areas. And I feel like that was very much my evolution and process as well so and a big thing that you said is understanding and explaining to her and not holding it back anymore because I was like that too I would cancel stuff I wouldn't want to say it and then I feel like it, it's so common to have people just I'm I'm done because it's so easy in the dating culture now just to go online swipe find someone else replace like it doesn't matter so really being able to have someone who's in your corner and making it a partnership I think is huge because something else that I, I wanted to ask you and everyone always has a different answer to this, but at this point in your life, and you said that, it, that just having this conversation was really important because it reminds you of the progress that you've made. Even if you're sitting there and having days where you're feeling like you ma are making none, what does it look like for you when you think about what it means to live well bipolar for you? Being intentional about taking care of myself. Um, having the support networks in place because I can't always, um, you can't, I, you, you can't control life, especially when most of your life was lived undiagnosed bipolar. Mm -hmm. Um, so accepting that I'm going to need more help than a lot of other people my age, accepting that help, um, living well bipolar for me is being the person I always wanted to be, but couldn't because of my illness. Mm. I'm still going to have some shortcomings, not personal, but compared to what other people can do, I'm still not as fully capable as some other people, as some neurotypical people. That's just mm -hmm. the case. But I can be the person who I always wanted to be. I, I, I did journaling like once every two years and I went back and I found one from 2014, right before I moved home. And in there, I said, what are the three, what are the things that mattered to me, right? It was like honesty, family, whatever. All of these themes and all of these things that I'm now finally living every day, living out every day, being intentional about, I was trying to do for 20 years. Mm. I just couldn't do it without medication, without help, because my brain was different. And so for me, being being able to be that person, that the genuine, honest person who shows love and care to the people in my life, that's what matters to me. And if I can take it a step further, like I hope we're doing here and help other people with my story, with my struggles, with what I've been through that's truly the next step and i don't i hate an end goal i'll never ha stop having a goal <laughs> you never reach the end but 
you know, that will be truly living well bipolar if I can, you know, and, and I guess I should stop telling myself short. I'm hopefully doing it now, but yeah, you know, I always want, I always, you always want to do bigger things, but, but I feel like I'm living well bipolar just by living my genuine self and mm-hmm. it's almost emotional, but I was never able to do that before. I oh was my gosh. never able to show that side to my loved ones. Mm-hmm. They didn't believe it. It took me years to convince them that was who I truly was. And I love so. that you you talk about just the intentional aspect and really being yourself that you felt you never could be. Because that, to me, hearing you say that reminds me of where I was for. And you talk about this twenty years of going of of doing this, and I can't do it. I can't show it. I can't share it. But really being able to have those people, like you're saying, the support network, put that in place, being intentional with all these different things, and then continuing to use your story to show people, here's the reality of it. Here's where I was at. Here's what it looked like. And here's where I'm at now. And here's what I'm trying to do today to continue to do that work. I've made a lot of progress. I've overcome a lot of the hurdles, but they're still going to continue to show up. There's life's always going to throw things at us. We're going to have bad days. It's never going to end. Right. But having those other people who can understand and put it into something like this, I think is huge. And especially hearing your perspective, I, I really think that that's super, super helpful because you touch on so many things, especially when you talk about, look, I struggled with drinking, with gambling, with how that trickled into my relationships, how that trickled into my identity with myself. And then you said, look, I was able to take this and, and get help for this. So before we're able to end here, can you tell everyone where they can go to connect with you? Yeah. Um, I probably spend more of my time on Instagram than anything else. Um, it's, at benefits under dash of under dash bipolar which Yay. is annoying um, but if you go to at benefits of bipolar i own that one too i do have a website benefits of bipolar.com as well i have i don't write as much as i did at the beginning but there's quite a bit up there from the past yeah so i'll put it all in the notes for you guys and again thanks everyone for tuning in so bye guys and bye lee bye, bye. <laughs>